Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. This is Cindy Burnett, and you are listening to the new Thoughts from a Page podcast. I love all things bookish. I run a bookstagram account called Thoughts from a Page. I write two book columns called Buzz Reads and Page Turners for a local Houston publication called The Buzz Magazines. And I co-operate a literary salon here in Houston called Conversations from a Page. We are currently on Zoom, so check us out at cfapage.net. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Each week, I plan to air an episode or two in which I interview authors and others in the publishing industry. My inaugural guest author is Susie Orman Schnall. I'm thrilled to have Susie here because Susie was one of the authors we hosted for our first conversations from a page literary salon, and I thought it would be fitting to interview her to launch this podcast. Susie is the author of four novels, and her latest, which comes out June 16th, is We Came Here to Shine. She can be found on Instagram at Susie Orman Schnall and on Twitter at Susie Schnall. So go give her a follow. Now, let's get to it. Welcome, Susie Orman-Schnall. I'm so happy to have you here as my inaugural Thoughts from a Page podcast author. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored. You know, I, I love what you do for authors and readers. And so I'm just very excited to be um, embarking on this new experience with you. So thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. I'm very excited to be talking about your latest book, We Came Here to Shine. I absolutely loved it. I just enjoyed every aspect of it, the characters, the setting, the map that you included at the beginning. I just think it's an absolutely fabulous book. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about it? I'd love to. And thank you. I'm so excited that you enjoyed it. It, um, You know, you, you work on something and then you put it out into the world and you just really hope that it resonates with readers. So I'm, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. Um, basically, We Came Here to Shine is historical fiction, but it's uplifting historical fiction. And it's set at the 1939 New York World's Fair. It follows the experiences of two young women, one who is a swimmer in the Aquacade, which is a synchronized swimming spectacular, and one who is a journalist at Today at the Fair, which is the Daily Fair newspaper. And it's about um, how they pursue their personal and professional dreams and the obstacles that they encounter along the way. Um, They eventually meet and the fun starts there. But basically also the reader gets a behind the scenes look at the extraordinary and iconic New York World's Fair, which essentially becomes a third character in the book. 
How did you come up with the subject matter for this book? I was actually reading the autobiography of Esther Williams called The Million Dollar Mermaid. And Esther Williams is mostly known for being a famous swimmer in Busby Busby Berkeley musicals and other, other movies. But she was a swimmer in Billy Rose's Aquacade. And I was reading that and I thought, Aquacade, what's an Aquacade? So I stopped what I was doing and I went online and I looked up Aquacade and found out what it was, which that it was a synchronized swimming, tremendous production of a show and that it was the highest grossing attraction at the 1939 New York World's Fair. So I started doing research and thought that immediately this would be an amazing premise for a novel to drop a character, not only in the Aquacade, but at the World's Fair and it all snowballed from there. That was one of the parts of the books that I was the most amazed about was how large the Aquacade was, the seating, wasn't it like 10,000 people? people, yeah. And they could attend, I mean, there were maybe four events a day. I I just was completely amazed by that. I had to go look up pictures and and you include some photos too, which is great. Um, And I had to go look up some others that that must have been, it had to be the biggest attraction at the World's Fair, I would think. Yeah. It had a hundred swimmers and a hundred dancers and, you know, a pool longer than a football field with a stage behind the same, um, two diving towers that one held an orchestra and one held a glee club and there were divers and comedians and an MC, And it was just a huge production. Uh, the, the man, uh, Billy Rose, who, who was the producer of it, was a Broadway producer, was originally married to Fanny Bryce. So he was a true showman. Did it take a lot of research to to become familiar with the Aquacade and and Billy Rose and all of that? Yes, it took a lot of research. I read a ton of books. I even read Billy Rose's autobiography, which was interesting and just gave me a little insight into who he was as as a person. I studied a lot of books about the World's Fair. There was also some great websites, including 19... 39nyworldsfair.com, which is just so robust and comprehensive. I bought a lot of memorabilia off of eBay. So I actually had copies of Today at the Fair, which was the newspaper that one of my characters works at. And so that was really great to get that firsthand, just tactile contact with the actual newspaper. And then to be able to read all the articles, I have a original program from the Aquacade. So that was great. And then one of the most exciting parts of the research was I actually had a private tour of the fairgrounds. So the the fair was 1939 and 1940. And then the most of the buildings were torn down used for steel for the war. And then there was another New York World's Fair, 1964 and 1965. This is all at Flushing Meadows Corona Park in Queens, New York, where most people know that area because it's right near City Field where the Mets play and it's at the Arthur Ashe Tennis Stadium where the U.S. Open is played. So there are still remnants from the 1964 World's Fair, but the footprint of the fairgrounds is exactly the same. And so I was able to walk the paths that my characters would have walked. And so it was just really, really amazing to be on that that land and see it for myself. I love going to New York City and actually after reading your book to actually go and see that area because it just is so fascinating. Yep, and I will meet you there and take you on a little mini tour. I would love that. What do you hope your readers take away from this book? 
I hope that they resonate with one or both of my main characters, Vivi and Max, who are both young women who are incredibly ambitious, who are bold. And I just want women to be inspired to use their voice and to really follow their dreams, to shine in the way that feels right for them instead of not listening to that inner voice that we all have pleading for us to do, to follow our passions, to follow our dreams and and do what it is that lights us up. I love that. And I loved both of the characters. I thought pulling them, one from the Aquacade and one working on the daily newspaper was the perfect way to present the World's Fair. And I remember when I was just reading through a a review of your book where one of the uh, reviewers said that the fair is actually another character in the book. And I felt that as I was reading it, and I think that is one of the things that makes the book so strong. But I, I loved that idea that the fair was its own character. Thank you. Yeah, it was. it's very important to me in writing historical fiction that I do all the research and get the facts straight. And of course, there are a few things that I adjust just for the story, but they're all noted in the historical note at the end of the book. And there's nothing that, that materially changes the concept of the fair and how it really was. But it was just so great to take my readers through that I, I purposefully had the characters tour parts of the fair and go to particular landmarks of the fair because I wanted to expose my readers to some of the really fun and fascinating sights and sounds that the fair had. No, that was one of my favorite parts. And that was, again, the map, why I felt it was so helpful because I would go back and forth between the map and where I was in the book to make sure I was following their path. And the addition of the map was genius. Oh, well, that makes me so happy because it was really important to me to include, I, I love maps in books, um, but for this particular book, because the fair was so large, it was 1,200 acres, and where Vivi works at the Aquacade is completely on the opposite side of the fair from where Max works in the administration building. And it was really important for me to be able to orient the reader. All of the maps that exist of the fair, and there are numerous, they all contain all like two to 300 of the fair buildings. And they're very busy and very hard to navigate if you don't And and to reprint in such a small way in a novel was really hard. So I decided that I wanted to commission a custom map and I hired an illustrator. She actually lives in Milan. Her name is Sylvia Guerra and she's incredibly talented. And the back and forth that we had on creating this map was really one of the most exciting experiences I had in writing this book. And I think that the end product, and I'm so happy that you actually used it, while you were reading, you're, you're the first person who's gotten an advanced copy with the actual map in it. So that's really, really great that you found it helpful. I found it very helpful. And I, I too love maps and books, um, especially in, in something like this, when you're, you're truly talking about an area where you might not be able to visualize it yourself. And I'm such a visual person. It was fabulous to be able to flip back and forth between the map and where I was in the story, follow their procession as they were walking around at different times. And um, I felt it was a you know, great addition. How do you come up with the titles for your books? Like, I think We Came Here to Shine is a fabulous title, and I know it can be difficult to agree on a title. So how did this one come about? The original title for this book, the title that I named it was The Summer of Tomorrow. And for people who read the book, they'll know that the theme of the World's Fair in 1939 was The World of Tomorrow. And so I thought The Summer of Tomorrow was a great title. I loved it. It was the working title throughout the entire um, writing process and editing process. 
But the marketing department at my publisher did not like that title for some reason. And so we went back and forth between my editor and my agent and and I with probably about 20 to 30 different titles. And we came here to shine, ended up being the winner. So I'm still a little bit married to the summer of tomorrow, but I'm definitely getting used to this and I've heard some great feedback from it. So hopefully people, it will resonate with people as well. You know, that's funny um, because you think you see a title and it fits the book when you read it, but it's fascinating to me always to hear the backstory because so much of the time there's a lot more that goes into the title than you'd ever realize. For sure. And I think maybe the summer of tomorrow would make sense to people after they've read the book, but maybe not before they read the book. I'm not sure. I still, I still like it. Well, I understand that, especially if you had that in mind for the entire time you were writing and, um, you know, it kind of stuck with you, which will actually segue into the next question about the cover. As you know, I am a huge cover person. I think it can make or break a book. I am always drawn to the great covers. I'm frustrated sometimes when covers don't match a book once I've read it. I'm like, I don't understand the purpose of this cover. Your cover is perfect. Again, I would love to hear more about how that came about. Thank you. I love it too. It was kind of a production, I, I will say, that the first covers that I got were just wrong. And I'm lucky that I, it, it varies for author and publishing house how much input the author gets on her or his covers. And so I was able to be in those discussions from the very beginning. I actually sent to my publishing house thoughts on comp covers and what I thought, what I somewhat envisioned as a conceptually, you know, not, not designing a cover. But then the first covers that came back, the women were, you know, they had women on the cover. They were just wrong. They just weren't dressed properly or there were some that came back and they just seemed like from a different era. Their, their hair, their clothes, they were wearing like wool suits because I know in the past, this is my fourth book, I know in the past that when I see the cover that ends up being the cover, it just light bulbs go off and an orchestra starts playing and I know in my heart that, that we're done. So what ended up happening is after many, many rounds, I went into the New York Public Library has an entire archive of World's Fair photos. And I found some photos, including the one that's now used on the cover. And I sent those off to my publisher. I kind of did a little mock-up on Canva of this cover, although the photograph was in black and white. And they fell in love with it also. And then they sent it off to be colorized and to get professional graphic design treatment. And that's how this cover came about. So I'm particularly partial to it because I helped in the process with it. But I just think that it embodies the fun and the levity and the excitement and the women are perfect because they're actual World's Fair people. These are not Aquacade swimmers as far as I know. This pool that they're splashing around in is actually like a reflecting pool. It wasn't meant to be swum in. And so this is clearly a marketing photo. But I just think that the joy that they have on their faces is exactly the type of joy that I want readers to experience while reading my book. And that's what I like so much about it. I didn't actually know all of that, but I feel like it does. I'm not, supposed to, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to tell all of that, but I'll spill the tea. Makes it more fun, right? Exactly. It's always good to get the inside scoop. Um, 
but they look like they're having so much fun and they look just right for the era. And then to have the symbols of the world, that world fair behind them, I just think it's the perfect cover. The whole cover thing is fascinating to me. I feel like that is one of the things that has most surprised me as I've done the literary salon and more, you know, author reviews and just become more involved in the book world is sometimes what little say authors can have in their covers, which just seems so funny to me. How long does it take you to write a book? I find that such a tricky question because my process is that I spend a great deal of time on first on the research because I want to get the history right. And I don't feel that I can start writing until I know in my head the framework of the history, especially for this book where setting and the fair itself are, are, are completely interwoven, that I want to have a really good idea of what the fair was like and what the experience of each of my characters would have been. I spend, you know, a couple months doing research and that's working, you know, five days a week, 10 to five, let's say. And then I spend, I'm, I'm a plotter. So authors are typically plotters or pantsers. I don't plot it out sentence by sentence and, 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 and scene by scene, but I typically know from chapter to chapter what I'm hoping to achieve in each chapter because I feel like there needs to be a flow and the reader needs to be taken on a journey with certain um, certain landmarks on the way of where the inciting incident happens and where the plot points, the conflict arises and all of that sort of thing. So I want to make sure that I'm being very thoughtful in my pacing. And then when I start to write, to be honest with you, that's the part that takes the shortest amount of time. I can write a book in 10 to 14 days. However, that being said, that's days that are like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. with very little going on in my life besides that. I can type very fast. And when I know what I'm going to start writing about, I just get into it. I have a really hard time. A lot of authors like to write a thousand words a day. That to me is very hard. Once I get into the writing of the book, I go in fully and I I kind of have to stay in until the book is done. And in that midst, while I'm writing, without fail, the entire plot and outline changes halfway through and I have to go back and re-outline and redo the beats and use index cards and all these little tools I have. It's an incredibly frustrating process, but I, I really like to dig in and get, you know, around six to 8,000 words a day, just pummel through. And then my, I, my first edit takes a couple months because a first draft is nothing beautiful. It's nothing perfect. And then it goes through a couple rounds with the agent and editor and developmental edit. So I would say, you know, start to finish, it's definitely a year. But that's a good point. I guess the the idea of writing a book can mean a lot of things. And so, you know, that the idea of you do have to do the research or the videos or whatever it is, depending on what you're, where you're writing and what you're writing, all of what you said would include technically writing a book. Right. And when I'm also, when I'm writing the first draft, I might have, okay, she goes to see this particular landmark of the fair. And then I might put a TK, which is editing for it to come. And then during my, my first edit, I'll go back and I'll, I could spend an entire day researching that particular landmark to make sure that the two sentences that I put about it are accurate. So I find the, the, the question, how long did it take you to write the book is so problematic because some people write for an hour a day from five to 6 a.m. every day, you know, and it can take them years to write a book. No, that makes perfect sense. What is the best thing about being a writer for you? The best thing about being a writer for me, I think, is the fulfillment that I feel 
finishing a book. <laughs> it is the best feeling in the world to write the end and then to actually hold the book in my hands after all of that work is so gratifying. And then the other thing that has really been an unexpected benefit is the writing community that I've become a part of. I have met some of the most interesting women, mostly women, some men, but some of the most interesting people who, because we all have the same jobs, we really understand each other on a way on a level that's different from some of my other friends. And we are all so supportive. It is not a zero-sum game industry. If you love my book, you might love my friend's book. And so we're all so supportive of each other. We promote each other. I just have loved that aspect of becoming an author. I love that too. And I have loved getting to know various authors. And then when I have questions, they have referred me to other authors. And I just find that fabulous that it is so supportive and everybody enjoys each other and builds each other up. That's really important. And particularly in today's world, it's, it's nice to have a group of people like that and to see it, it work that way. Back to what you were saying before, it struck me and then I got uh, sidetracked. But being able to actually hold the book in your hand, like when it arrives at your home and you're able to pull it up, that's got to be the greatest feeling in the world after making it through the title and the cover and everything else from the beginning to the end to actually have it and hold it in your hand has to be so rewarding. It really, really, truly is rewarding. And to feel the heft of it and the bulk. And this is this one is my longest one yet, and it just feels very gratifying. Yeah, just that finished product, like I got here, I did this. Share something that your readers wouldn't know about you. I like to take on these athletic physical challenges, like once a year, these crazy things. During quarantine, I took something on called the Calendar Club Challenge, which the, the goal of it is that you run one mile a day, depending on the date. So on April 1st, it was you were meant to run one mile. On April 2nd, two miles. All the way up to April 30th, you would have run 30 miles. Well, I am not that committed of a runner. I mean, I tend to run three to four miles a week. And so the idea of running 400 miles a month wasn't going to happen. Um, but what I did was I took on the challenge with a friend of mine and we ran it in kilometers and we split it. So on you know day 15, I was running half of 15 kilometers. And at the end, I think I ran 175, the equivalent of 175 miles. And it was just really amazing to me to wake up every morning and dread having to put on my sneakers and go out. It was still cold in New York where I live at, during April and run more miles than I ever had and to do it day after day after day. And I do these challenges at least once a year to remind myself that I am so much stronger mentally and physically than I give myself credit for and that we can do hard things. And if we put our mind to something, because it's really such a mental thing that we can do it. And that helps me, that knowledge kind of helps propel me through the rest of my life and the small challenges that I, that I come across. Okay. That's amazing. I could never, ever do that. I am not no, a runner. I could walk it, <laughs> but I could yeah, not run exactly. it. And a lot of people walked it, you know, and it was just the, the, the idea of committing to it and showing up. And I think that whole concept of showing up for yourself in whatever way that that manifests itself is just a really good lesson to learn. It's very impressive. So I'm going to wrap up with my last question and I'm going to ask you, tell me about two of your favorite recent reads. Okay. I am going to tell you about three of my 
favorite recent reads. The first is still a current read. I'm actually listening to Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And I don't want to call her a guru, but I'll call her a guru because to me, she is a guru. No one has ever resonated with me the way that what she says resonates with me. And I am just loving listening to her book. I, I can't get out enough and do my walks or wash dishes enough to spend the time with her because I just love listening to her. She she kind of just explains life and I love the perspective that she has and the place where she that she's coming from. So I highly recommend Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I also read while I was doing that those runs, I read The Impossible First by Colin O'Brady. And Colin is a um, an adventurer and he's the one who organized the calendar club. And The Impossible First is about his experience doing a solo crossing of Antarctica. And so not only was it a fascinating sort of personal tale of endurance and commitment and discipline, but I also loved hearing about Antarctica, which I know nothing about. So that was really interesting. And then my third book, which is kind of a recommendation as a summer read for people, is Fast Girls by Elise Hooper. And it comes out in July. And it's the story of three Olympic runners, women, from the 1930s and about their experience. I think it starts in 1932 and goes up through the 1936 Olympics. And it's just a fascinating also tale of determination and women who are going against the odds. And it's a diverse group of characters. And it's it's something that I think everybody would enjoy for historical fiction this summer. Well, I loved Fast Girls too. And Elise is actually going to be a guest on the podcast also, which I'm excited about. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, I just thought it was a great book. And I've been seeing Untamed everywhere. And the third one sounds fascinating. So yeah. thank you for all three of those reads. And thank you so very much for joining me today. It was a ton of fun. And it's a great way for me to kick off the podcast. Thank you, Cindy. I'm so excited to have done this with you. And um, I hope everybody enjoys We Came Here to Shine. Thank you so much for listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast and tell all your friends about the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I would really appreciate it. Susie's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening, and I hope to see you next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.